Yeah. Um. We got the the big thing needs to happen. Right, and if it it's if so it could sad. just be, if it could be, and here's the thing about the internet, though, right, is that mm. now for the first time ever, we have the potential. You have the potential to like set off a bomb, but it's a bomb of information that like right. wakes people up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like there is the potential with the internet. I could see a situation where you've you've basically gotten like some semblance of the truth or like a a true vision out to enough people that there's just this like like it implodes on itself you know the entire system that and 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 it's already happening i mean right like people our generation the younger generation like they're not proud to be an american anymore that's not like something that they would say and something that they have any interest in and they want to but where where's the tipping point is it that's what it is in our lifetime do we do we like you know just lace up you know put up the the you know the means of war in our lifetime because we're like we don't want to do this anymore collectively mm-hmm. but again the only i mean i mean i've we're, we're all over the place but like the only way to do that is with true democracy right like right mm-hmm. now we live in a system where corporate interest moneyed interests like get to do whatever they want and so we're we're stuck with like whatever Monsanto wants or whatever Procter <laughs> yeah. and Gamble wants. Like it's not us that makes any decision about like what we want. Yeah, today's conclusion: capitalism evil. Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try to make sense of the universe one Wikipedia article at a time. I am joined by my newly 30, almost Mm -hmm. dad, Mm -hmm. co-host, and friend, John Miklas. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, On the other mic today, my absolutely... Wonderful co-host Alex Virgil, and also joining us today is our lovely producer and NSA informant Emmy yes. Sack. What's up? Ooh. Good to be back. Yeah, Good yeah, yeah. It's been a couple weeks without Emmy, so we're stoked to have her back. <laughs> How was your South American coup coup attempt? Yeah, we uh, we can't talk about it. <laughs> Oh, damn, you almost got her, Verge. You almost got her doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, one, one of these days, she'll God let damn. she'll let it slip. Yeah. Oh, it was easy. It was easy. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just don't touch a single hair on my boy Evil Morales' head. His beautiful head of hair. So, uh, please don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, how are we doing, guys? What's up? What's going on? We're good. I think. Um, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know how much of the intro conversation will make it into the uh, mm-hmm. thing, but I think. I think it's a combination of uh, trying to live our lives and trying not to feel too bad about it. Yeah, we are. Um, we're having a coffee up this week. Um, yeah, we have ruminated on how nice it is to be able to go back um, into the world again. Yeah. Um, simultaneously with the inevitability of the slow heat death of the universe, um, right in the face of global hegemonic capitalism. So both of those things we're kind of trying to balance and I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. I don't yeah. think we're I don't think we're doing terrible at it. No one's cried yet. No yelling. Yeah. No yelling. Uh only one Christopher Dorner reference, so we're good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um do we have any do we have any unfinished business? Um Shenyun still be out there, still be putting on shows. Yeah, they are. Um, uh, oh, yeah. oh, I guess my only unfinished business about that is um, a call for anyone who has possibly seen any Shenyun to reach out to us and tell us. Yeah, what, we give would us love a play to by know. play. That would be sick. We did. I did have someone uh, thank me for that segment, and they oh. should, really should be thanking you because they were like, "I have seen those." posters and billboards mm-hmm. in cities all over the u.s everywhere yeah. i've lived i've seen them so 
um, they were they were like, well, I just am so glad that I now know what that's about. Yeah, mm-hmm. their marketing is good because yeah. they Very just vague. they just leave it out there. Very vague. forever for everyone to see. Yeah, and I remember like the first time I learned that it was kind of like culty was because I went by a billboard and said, maybe I should maybe I should go to one of those shows because they're, they're clearly successful. Yeah, you know. They're clearly clearly successful. Uh, um. Um, I did want to bring up something uh, in terms of unfinished business. Uh, Love that. I was at the zoo yesterday. uh, Yeah. The San Diego Zoo. Lovely place. High recommend. Um, And uh, there was, there's a little section in the zoo near, I don't know, like the elephants or some shit that's like, like, Fossilized, like you know, fake fossilized remains of oh, yeah, old yeah. megafauna. Hell um, yeah, I and love which megafauna. is which is dope. And I started to think about and like got into thinking about and researching extinction because mm. we did talk about extinction, a soon to be extinct animal on the show last week, mm-hmm. the um, Yangtze River tortoise. That correct? Yeah, close enough. Close the enough, giant yeah. soft shell turtle. Turtle, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um and one of the things that we said was like, oh, you know, not extinction is a normal part of like the earth. Um and the the megafauna that all went extinct were a part of something called the quaternary extinction. Um oh. also sometimes known as the Pleistocene extinction. Mm. Um, and one of the things that hit me when reading about this is, so, um, the earliest casualties of the Pleistocene or the quaternary extinction were 130,000, uh, 130,000 BCE. Mm. However, uh, the great majority of extinctions in Afro-Eurasia and the Americas occurred during the transition from the Pleistocene to the Holocene epoch. 13,000 BCE to 8,000 BCE. And that just isn't very long ago. Like, no. I mean, it, it, like it is, obviously, but 8,000 BCE is like, there's like cities in Sumeria at that point. Yeah, yeah. And there's fucking woolly, ma- like giant, like fantastical beasts, beasts on earth that are slowly kicking the bucket. And it's just, it's weird that, I don't know, I hadn't quite, my timeline on the history of earth is pretty mm-hmm. spotty um as yeah. is everybody's i think um well totally i mean it's like we we learn a vague amount of it to the point where in our adult lives we're subconsciously thinking any fossil 65 million years ago <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> you know anything that doesn't exist now 65 million years ago yeah and like to think that a woolly mammoth was on earth just right around the time that people were learning how agriculture works is like yeah. kind of a trip to me. I just yeah. find that very weird to think about mm-hmm. that like the precursor to our civilization was also like the end point for these these things that like in my head I've definitely dealt with an ele- I've definitely in my head been like Oh, woolly mammoth! Oh no, that's a fake thing. That's like not a real. That's like a fake thing that they, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like from. It's plaster cast in a museum. Yeah, yeah, for... maybe, maybe like like Arthurian, you know, mm-hmm. fairy tales. Maybe woolly mammoths are in there or some shit, but that's fake. You know, it's crazy. So that's all I had about the quaternary extinction. I didn't go very far okay. into it, but no, that's um, great. Thanks. Extinction's a trip, man. I mean the the earth. It has held a, a lot of a lot of different things. We probably don't even know. I'm still convinced that like 60 million years ago there was like a like a fairy civilization yeah. or like mermaids only, or some shit. We only know like it's get it's estimated that we only know a quarter of what's currently existing on Earth. <laughs> yeah. So I can only imagine, like, oh no, this is gonna be bad because we haven't even gotten into our subjects, and I yeah. I could talk about this forever. Where it's just like. <laughs> How could we possibly know that there wasn't some kind of organized civilization before? Yeah. How? We can't. How? It's only the past hundred years that we've only even decided that it's okay to think that there were creatures that don't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, we are, because we also, there also could be, 
I'm sure that we could find a Wikipedia article about this. Somebody has thought about this, right? This is like a philosophical... Yeah. But, like, we are only getting now so sophisticated. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of like... Have you ever read about... This is maybe a topic in its own right. Um, we are we're getting off track, folks. Um, <laughs> like, uh, how at nuclear waste facilities, mm-hmm. um, there's, like, this whole kind of uh, artistic movement to mm. to exp- to per- concisely explain to a far off civilization our species long after we're gone that this is a bad place that they need to leave mm. because it's like yeah mm. if if you have no if you have no through line to humanity and you right. go to a nuclear waste site Mm-hmm. You like there needs to be some way of conveying in like a language that's not one of our human languages. Like, get away from here. Uh, mm. And it's very, it, it's very interesting to think about. It. And it's, we're probably not sophisticated enough to know a past civilization. Right. How did, how did they decide to communicate that? Yeah, you know what? I this I think we'll keep this as unfinished business because I I want cool. to I want to do more research because um, it's like a there's like a lot of stuff there. It's really cool. I will definitely we'll put a pin in on it because I think it's worth worth like, yeah talking about in full. It, it, and and I think that it like opens up like a whole other host of um, different subjects on on it and people <laughs> yeah. talking about non. I, there's probably a word for it, but like non linear language or like you know language Mm -hmm. we're gonna get hit up by uh our fan jimmy about about this because he absolutely will know exactly what i'm talking about (laughs) yeah so hi jimmy thanks (laughs) that's a great preface for a show totally totally after us coming across a nuclear site yeah absolutely and 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 thinking that it's like almost like sacred i was thinking about yeah like a show like like Oh, you think this is a sacred site, and then at the end, like the reveal is like, oh no, this is this is a bad place, you know? Yeah, yeah. Pull back on a crumbling nuclear yeah. reactor. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, all I right. Can't well, wait. If there's, if there's no more old unfinished business, do you guys know what time it is? I I don't know what time it is. Hell I'm very yeah. excited to find out. It is time for good cooking. Ooh, clink, clink. There we go. Good sound effects. Nailed One it. day we'll have real ones, right, Verge? Yeah. We'll just <laughs> keep saying it until it happens. Um, all right. So I don't know if I mentioned this, but I had to work this week in Tucson, Arizona. So yes. I spent three nights in Tucson this week. Oh, yeah. And I will say this. Um, shout out to all of our Arizonan fans. I hope the sun hasn't um made you go crazy like 75 percent of arizona um i had never been to tucson before uh it's a cute it's a lovely little town yeah phoenix not my jam sorry to all of our listeners in phoenix it's not our favorite city tucson good town um i found a lovely local culinary staple in tucson that i want to talk about that's exactly what I had hoped and expected out of you, and I'm, I'm glad yeah. it panned out. Uh, I want to talk about the Sonoran hot dog. Let's go. Tell Are me. you guys familiar at all? Okay, hell yeah. All right, I, it's a very short article, and then I got a, another um, reading, a little reading series that I want to talk about. But the Sonoran hot dog is a style of hot dog that originated in Hermosillo, the capital mm. of the Mexican state of Sonora, in the late 1980s. It is popular in Tucson, Phoenix, and elsewhere in southern Arizona. It consists of a hot dog that is wrapped in bacon and grilled, served on a bolillo-style hot dog bun, which is, like, super soft mm-hmm. and, and like, very thick. Um, so it, it's, like, a lot of bread. Um, and then it's topped with pinto beans, onions, tomatoes, and a variety of additional condiments, often including mayonnaise, mustard, and jalapeno salsa. The Sonoran dog is prepared and sold by vendors called Dolgueros at street carts. It was mm. estimated in 2009 that over 200 places in Tucson purvey the Sonoran hot dog and that Phoenix has even more. Um, they're delicious. Really, yeah. really good. And they're like very much like you go into any taco shop in Tucson and the Sonoran hot dog is something that is on the menu. Mm. Um, 
That sounds so good. High recommend, yeah. Yeah. Very good. After a night out. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Like, stop at the cart. (laughs) Like, in Southern California, we already have the bacon wrapped hot dogs, like, for Mm -hmm. night out, but, like, this is, like, just on the next level. Next level. Fuck. Um, Okay, but I, that's not quite enough to talk about for good cooking. I want to talk about something that happened, and because I got one. And I posted it on my Instagram story, and a coworker messaged me and was like, "Dude, you went to the right spot." And he sent me this article from Tucson's like uh, newspaper, uh-huh. um, and the article is, um, "Sonoran hot dog war heats up in Tucson. Six hundred thousand dollar extortion bid charged." <gasps> and so, all right, I, I, I apologize. This is kind of a long reading, but I'm pretty much just going to read the entire article. Okay. Uh, it's it's so good. Um, okay, so. Uh, a food cart rival tried this week to extort $600,000 from the local godfather of the Sonoran hot dog, El Guero Canelo, <laughs> federal prosecutors said. Early Thursday morning, FBI agents arrested Eduardo Sabore, who owns a hot dog stand near East 22nd um, after he picked up a duffel bag in a nearby trash bin, prosecutors said in a criminal complaint. Agents had placed the bag in the bin as a ruse to catch the suspected extortionist. Nice. Um, El Guero Canelo, whose real name is Daniel Contreras, has become famous for his Sonoran hot dogs. And this is the place I went to. Um, Mm -hmm. Frank's wrapped in bacon, topped with beans, uh... Contreras has helped popularize the dogs beyond Latino customers on the South Side and has been recognized by New York Times, Bon Appetit, uh, etc. Um, in fact, federal prosecutors and agents can frequently be seen eating at El Guero Canelo's sites. <laughs> um, a relative liquors. New- yeah, right. A relative newcomer among hot dog eros, Sabori, has quickly na- made a name among Tucson vendors. Um, his Hot dogs were given an honorable mention in last year's Arizona Daily Star taste test. Um, yeah. And Sabori, uh, he is originally from Hermosillo, um, and he owns a one spot called Mr. Antojo. Um, mm. So here's, on July 9th, Contreras, who's El Guerrero Canelo, received a letter telling him, him to deliver $600,000 as a, at a specified time to a commercial trash bin near the Hampton Inn. Um, a threat of violence was included, along with a map showing where to put the money. In subsequent days, additional letters appeared. Uh, one instructed Contreras to put a white flag on a business van parked at his location to signal his agreement to pay the money. Uh, on Tuesday, a letter threatened that if Contreras failed to pay, somebody could die. Um, and then at 12.01 Thursday morning, the FBI agents delivered the bag full of money in the trash bin. Uh, and six minutes later, Sabori picked up the bag and agents arrested him. Sabori admitted that he planned, wrote, and delivered the above three reference letters with the intent to intimidate and threaten <laughs> Contreras into paying $600,000. Uh, and then they... so. The next day, employees slung hot dogs for a thin summer crowd. One of the customers, 26-year-old Ricardo Rivera, noted that that sort of crime doesn't work so well north of the border. (laughs) This guy should be on the world's dumbest criminals, Rivera said, while munching a carne asada sandwich. Hell yeah. (laughs) I love Um, that. And then, oh my god, this this rocks too. And on signs and on the internet, Sabori describes his Franks as real Sonora hot dogs. But in last year's taste test, he was forced to defend his use of nacho cheese, saying <gasps> he gets the cheese from Hermosillo. That's the kind of cheese that you use over there, he told a star reporter. I love the fact that he's getting interviewed about his fucking hot dogs. Yeah. when he just, um, And then there, the, yeah, it goes on to say that there's also a rivalry between two, like Guerrero Canelo, Canelo and a different Sonoran hot dog place. But I love that story because it, it, like... It's got a kind of a big title, and then it just gets increasingly more and more stupid. And it's yeah. like, this is. It's a Coen Brothers movie. It's completely yeah. a Coen Brothers movie. And it's like that kind of perfect mix of like real crime with real yeah. consequences in a city that doesn't probably have a huge like established professional journalism team. And like, it's like, I don't know. It just is all very like little city problems. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Folk, folk noir, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I love so. that. 
that's it, the shit that it's the beating heart of this country is that absolutely shit. <laughs> dude more if the u.s could just be that weird and not actually have any sort of power it would be great yeah like the u.s should be like a global sideshow um mm-hmm. it's just that we also have the largest military and economy in the world and like it's we should we, we re- should focus more on that yeah. kind of stuff that's what yeah. we're good at yeah that should happen they should make a movie out of it and that can be our export as a country yeah, exactly um exactly but yeah that's great sonoran hot dog wars man i love that i would love to see either a movie or a show about that or separately unrelated to the article i want to yeah. see a dirty dogs like food competition or like yeah you know different regional yeah and, like i just want to like see all that or like go to one of those first fridays situations where it's all just like all different dogs. dirty dogs yeah i'm a big fan i i'll admit the the seattle style i was gonna bring shouldn't it shouldn't work but it, it does shouldn't work. work it it took me one extra bar yeah to like i was like i don't know about the seattle style we had a couple more drinks and i was like all right i mean it's a hot dog the cream Convert- cheese yeah you want to describe the seattle style dog oh, what's yeah it? Yeah, so the main thing about it is that the bun is toasted, and then you just, like, smear a layer of cream cheese on the bun in the hot dog. Yeah. So it's almost like a, it's like toast. Like yeah. a, you know, like a morning toast, but then you got a hot dog in there, too. Yeah. And because it's like cream cheese, it's like, as it's kind of melting, it gets, you know, like, it's butter adjacent, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I can see it. I mean, a lot of places do mayo instead of butter for, like, grilled cheese. Totally, mm. more flavorful and more moist, and yeah, it's definitely it's definitely got that vibe where it's like, and I I, I think you gotta like cream cheese, but I kind of don't try. I, I cream cheese is a very straightforwardly good flavor, and so it I is. Can, I like people always kind of balk at cream cheese on stuff, but it's like no, put it on stuff. It tastes good. That's that I will say that the Seattle dog was what opened me up to the possibility of cream cheese in items that yeah feels like it shouldn't be. Like um, I was so anti Philadelphia roll, oh, yeah. which is this, which is just like what a salmon roll with cream cheese in it. Yeah, yeah. And I was so anti because I was a purist for obvious reasons. Right. Yeah. And then I had the Seattle dog, and then like very shortly after that, I tried the Philadelphia roll, and I was like, "Fuck." Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like Japanese lox and bagel. <laughs> right. Bagel. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um. Hey. Um. Before we get into my topic happy pride everyone yeah happy pride to all my my various queer brothers and sisters and um yeah allies happy pride all right we're gonna go into a subject that has nothing to do with that though (laughs) all right red herring (laughs) i like it yeah 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 had to get get that out there though for sure this is a a pro queer pro queer queer podcast for sure 100 percent um Okay, <laughs> this is one of those, uh, you know, X-Files had episodes that had to do with, like, Mulder's longer story, and then they had Monster of the Week episodes. Yeah. And people like the Monster of the Week. This is the most Monster of the Week topic that has Hell nothing yeah. to do with anything we talk about. Nice. Today we're going to talk about Zheng Yi Sao. Okay. Uh, born Xi Yang, also known as Qing Shi, meaning wife of Qing or Zheng. Was a Chinese pirate leader who terrorized yeah. the South China Sea from 1807 to 1810. Yeah. Now you'll notice that's a pretty short reign. Three years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Good pretty for short them. reign. Yeah. Huge waves, both literally and metaphorically. Um, she was the unofficial commander of the Guangdong Pirate Confederation. So, like a coalition of pirates. Okay. Um, which was composed of 400 yeah. junks. If you're not familiar with Chinese junk ships, those are like legit. Um, and Big, between right, they're huge. Yeah, and between so 400 of those, and between 40,000 to 60,000 pirates in 1805. Um, her ships entered what? into conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't like unofficially, but like because it was a coalition, it was unofficial. But she was essentially commanding. Yeah, 40,000 to 60,000 pirates in the South China Sea. Um. Her ships entered into conflict with several major powers, including such as the East India Company, the Portuguese Empire, and Qing China, which I love that. Yeah, dude, that's so cool. 
there there is nothing cooler than uh, an Asian woman pirate queen fighting the Portuguese Empire <laughs> right India trading company yeah um uh, bah, 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 bah. Um, based on her influence and achievements as a pirate, which included commanding a vast fleet of around 1,500 to 1,800 ships, crewed by 80,000 sailors during her peak, she is hailed by many as being the most successful pirate in history. Hey, girl. Yeah. Um, so she was... So he, very quick background. Uh, she was born in 1775 in Qinghui, Guangdong. She was possibly a Tonka... Uh, which is like a boat, uh, one of those boat people, the boat, uh, not a driver, but, you know, a ro- Captain rower. Rower, got it. Yeah, yeah, but like the small, like, gondola size, like the river canal type, you know, little little boat things. This is when she was young, who, who worked as a prostitute or madam on a floating brothel. So, so she came from pretty, like, humble, you know. Yeah. Um... So then she married Zheng Yi, a well-known pirate. Um, and uh, Zheng Yi, this is so cool. Zheng Yi hailed from a family of well-known pirates whose Hell roots yeah. traced back to Ming Dynasty, which is like, gotta be the coolest lineage. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Is that sorry to to cut you no, off? No, no, no. Please, please. Um, like I think about forty to sixty thousand person army, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what constitutes that as pirates and not like a nation? Like, is it like that? You start to get a little bit spotty about like what you. That's a lot of power, right? You yeah. Know? And it's like yeah, they're essentially like their own nation at that point, right? You know, right. like your sovereignty like, is is built around the amount of power that you have. And, how different is it real how different was it really on the day to day from like Cossacks? You know? That's immediately what I was thinking of. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's like these people in the past whose like essentially their their military was what defined them culturally. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's very hard to understand what's different than like statehood in that yeah. regard, you know? Yeah. It's totally and, and it is totally the uh like the winners write history mentality of just like right yeah the the state said they were pirates so they're they're pirates not just like right free independent sailors you know <laughs> yeah i mean they also like pillaged and stuff um mm-hmm. but i think it tended to be motivated not just out of <laughs> not just out of boredom but um, i mean even if it was out of boredom it's like who am i to judge their culture right exactly um so a year after their marriage in 1802, Zheng Yi, Zheng Yi, that's the husband, Zheng Yi's, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, Zheng, Zheng Yi's cousin uh, was ki- captured and executed by uh, Vietnamese forces. Um, and so this, what followed was a period of infighting among the pirates near the Guangdong coast. But with the help of Zheng Yi Sao, who was a capable consolidator and organizer, Zheng Yi, the husband, was able to unite the pirates into a confederation through the signing of an agreement in July 1805. Hell yeah. In, in which each pirate leader agreed to sacrifice some of his autonomy for the greater good. Wow. Love that shit. Yeah. Not only did she, like, she didn't, like, lead... 40,000 to 60,000 people through conquest. It was through collaboration. Yeah. Uh, the confederation consisted of six fleets known by the color of their flags. They're so cool. Red, black, blue, white, yellow, and green. Zhang Yi commanded the biggest fleet, the red flag fleet. Hell yeah. Fucking badass. Dude, this, uh, yeah, this needs to be a movie. It's like, yeah, you're, the 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 Chinese film industry man like you're sleeping on a huge hit on a huge hit, um. Yeah, like this is this this could be like a tr- trilogy or something. Um, well, it's like, have you ever heard? I feel like there's some jokes online that's like, imagine if instead of a we live with this like twenty movie deep Marvel universe, there was like mm-hmm. twenty movies deep of Master and Commander, 
Like that was like the biggest <laughs> universe. This would be Darwin Darwin spinoff. Yeah, this Darwin would yeah it'd be like like movie number six of a Master and Commander alternate universe or cinematic yeah. universe. You know. Yeah. It's like oh we're we're finally getting a Zhang Yi movie. Like <laughs> yeah, are you kidding? It's taking this yeah. long. Yeah. Wow. Asian woman. Finally, an Asian woman pirate movie. Um, <laughs> I think that's, that's the, what we need. The, that's the episode title. Finally, an Asian woman pirate movie. <laughs> We've been asking for it forever. Come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Oh, and now. Hmm. Birch has, has already done Asian women and he's done female yeah, pirates. Yeah. Yep. If Herge is really just, just. finding his niche on the show here, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When the when the um, the executives are trying to decide who to like helm the film, they'll be like, "There's actually this one guy who <laughs> happens to be into exactly these two things." <laughs> um, I have a name, untested, <laughs> but he he's talked about this more than zero times, which is yeah, <laughs> huge. Um, okay, ascension to leadership. Yay! Yay! All right. Um, this is sad. This is not sad. It's just one of those classic moments where we're gonna shit on useless husbands here. Yeah. Um, on 16 November 1807. So this page was written by a non-American, unless they always do that. Um, Zhang Yi, the husband, fell overboard in a gale, which is mm-hmm. a strong wind. Yeah. And died at the age of 42. Oof. Um. Everything they'd worked for, for red yeah. flags to yeah. just fall off the boat and drown. And that sucks. Yep. That's that's like some classic, like, the husband is cast by the most famous actor, <laughs> famous Chinese actor, and then yeah. they're just dead in the first act. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is oh hilarious. Uh, and then so Zheng, our, our Zheng Yi, Zheng Yi Cao, quickly took over her deceased husband's operation through the support of Zhengyi's nephew and uh, blah 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 you can pretty much guess um, that you know as she took over she started reorganizing kind of certain things and um, most importantly she had the support of Zhang Bao who was in effect commanding the red flag fleet at the time so now this is our like younger hotter actor yep Yep. Who's who's like the underling in the first act, but you're like, you're too famous of an actor, you're clearly gonna play Yeah, yeah. A larger role in the narrative movie. And forward. I don't even I don't even care if it's in the actual story. In the movie, there's a sex scene. There's a sex scene in the oh. movie. Oh oh they oh they have sex. It's even <laughs> <laughs> The best part is this is the last sentence of this section. After taking control of the Confederation, Zhang Yi Sao and Zhang Bao quickly entered a sexual relationship. <laughs> <laughs> It is speculated. Now, this is, this is the interesting <laughs> film narrative aspect. It is speculated that they were already intimate before oh. the death, before a wind pushed Zhang Yi overboard. A I'm not saying anything. I'm not a saying reveal. anything. But it, there, I, it would be cool if what people talked about at the end was... So, so did she kill him? It's it, yeah. No, this is a usual suspect. No, I think that the the reveal yeah. at the end is she killed him. Like, it's like a usual suspect style. Like, yeah, yeah. Like re- rewind and. I think it's it's after the scene where she's like done, the rise and the fall has happened, and she's kind of accepted death yeah. or whatever. And then like movie feels like it ends, and then the last scene is her last conversation with her husband just before she pushes him over. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, oh, so yes. good! This is such a good movie. So, I love God. this movie. I, this is my favorite movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then there's like some stuff about. Obviously, there's some stuff about her time as the leader of a confederation. Basically, what it sounds like, you know, it's a bunch of names I don't know, and a bunch of. This is where it gets into like History Channel war, war reenactment tactic things, where it's like, yeah, do we really care about who flanked left and who flanked right? Um, so there's a lot of that. But um, um, in 1808, a year after Zheng Yi Sao took power, the Pirate Confederation became significantly more active. Uh, in September, Zhang Bao, her young hot uh, possible co-conspirator, yeah, um, first lured, then ambushed Lin Guoliang, Brigadier General, 
um, and destroyed his fleet of 35 ships near Majo Island. Um, a month later, Zhang Wait, Bao, how do you destroy a fleet of 30? Did they, they also, it wasn't like sabotage, it was like a, a water battle? Like a, like a war, I think, yeah. Whoa. Um, so then, because then in October, Zhang Bao defeated Lieutenant Colonel Ling Fa near present-day Weiyuan Island. These two engagements reduced the Chinese provincial fleet by half and cleared the way for the pirates to enter the Pearl River. Oh so this God. is like this is like the scene after she the ascend, ascension is yeah. confirmed and then she just sends her boy toy. Dude, up we to are clear a path. We are absolutely sleeping on how badass the action scenes had to be in the South China Sea. 100%. Like Oh we're God. we're fucking dude the the european boats and like european style combat so fucking boring and com- compared to yeah. these junk ships like just what like two ships lining up and entering the pearl river each other. delta dude oh my god that's so yeah sick. we're talking like fleets this is... and they're cool looking ships too they look like yeah. like dragons and stuff yeah oh, and then god they got damn. different colors and, and they're probably waving different flags to like coordinate mm-hmm. and shit um oh man i think I think this is yeah we are absolutely sleeping on it. Um, so, in March of that year, provincial commander Sun Quan Mo, with around a hundred ships under his command, engaged a small group of pirates, um, and the pirates called Zheng Sao for aid because they are all uh, in a giant coalition. Right before the battle, Zheng Sao took command of the Red Flag Fleet and the White Flag Fleet, ordered Zhang Bao to engage from the front with ten ships. Um, a couple of his lieutenants to flank from the sides, the leader of the white flag fleet to cut Sun off from the rear. During the heat of battle, Zheng Sao charged in with the bulk of the red flag fleet and the white flag fleet, just a Whoa. full charge. Um, and then a bit of a bummer, the next sentence is the Qing Navy dealt a major blow to the pirate confederation by killing Liang Bao and destroying the white flag fleet at an engagement uh, at the cost of losing Brigadier General Zhu Tingui and 25 ships to Zhang Bao. Epic. Epic stuff. Absolutely epic. So there's a bit more of that. I would, I would suggest if you're, if you're kind of like, you know, one of those nerds who, who grew up with their dad watching History Channel all the time and stuff. Yeah. Like, this is a fun read. This is a fun read. Dude, I'll bet there is, I'll, I'll bet there is some, like, History Channel... Do you think that there's like a... There's gotta be. There's gotta be. Probably not very well made, but... It's probably like an episode in like a pirate series that has yeah. like three out of five stars. <laughs> um, oh wait, actually, I'm... I'm. Uh, it looks like uh, Jorge Luis Borges wrote about her. Did you see that? Mm-mm. The Widow... Wait, what is it? The Widow Ching Lady Pirate. That's cool. Yeah, that might be the um, that might there's, be what we. There's base more to be. There's off. more to be had. There, this story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you go. Um, so in you know in classic. Okay, I'm definitely gonna try and read read that at some point. Um, so in classic form, of course, huge rise, epic battles. Of course, the army. Too many enemies. Yep. You know, yep. Um, the Portuguese. It was. It was the uh, her engagement with the Portuguese, who, who had uh, at the time Macau was under Portuguese right. Empire um, rule, and so kind of you know picture like establishing shot of Macau and uh, huge engagement, and eventually. There was like a bit of a deadlock on the sea, like they blockaded them in. The 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 state blockaded the pirates in. Um and they eventually had to surrender. Um on April seventeenth, Zheng Yi Sao, wanting to break the deadlock, personally led a delegation of seventeen women and children to the Yamen, which is an administrative government building basically. Yeah. At Guangzhou. And negotiated with Bai Ling where he yielded to her demands. Uh, on April 20th, 
Zhang Yisao and Zhang Bao officially surrendered to Bai Ling hmm. with 17,318 pirates, 226 ships, 1,300 cannons, and a bunch of assorted weapons. Zhang Yisao surrendered with 24 ships under her personal command. Now, this is what's interesting. Zhang Bao was awarded the rank of lieutenant and was allowed to retain a private fleet of 20 to 30 ships. I imagine this is part of the negotiation. Right. And then Zhang Yisao was also given permission to officially marry Zhang Bao. Oh. So you get so in the moment where they lose everything, they're allowed to finally like official officiate. Yeah. That's the word. Um they're married. Consecrate? Consecrate, thank you. Yeah. Is that is that the word? Conse- yeah, yeah, yeah. Consecrate means to like get it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, consummate. That's what you Con- want. No, that's what yeah. you that's what you Fuck. want. That's what I what know. does consecrate yeah. mean? Dude, the, the sex scene the sex scene will happen. Just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> what does consecrate mean again? Jesus Christ. That's embarrassing. Oh, oh um, no. Consummate is it's yeah, okay. All right. Consummate is 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 the sex. It. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> okay, we're good. <laughs> um hilarious. Uh, <laughs> well, so a little bit of all know, of it. A little bit of all of it. Some would say they, they consecrated say. each other, they consummated each other, they probably desecrated each other. They were consummating like crazy. Um <laughs> so interestingly, so then Jang Bao uh ended up after surrendering Zhang Bao ended up defeating the blue flag fleet oh under, wow yeah Ooh. so that's a little Ooh. interesting a little heel turn there yeah in 1822 Zhang Bao died at age 36 aka he was younger than us when he was doing all this stuff with yeah Zhang Yi um and uh, so he really was the young hotness yeah no I mean he sounds Really young and hot, he does. Um, and then in 1844, Zhang Yi died at the age of 68 or 69, having led a relatively peaceful life after the death of her second husband as the proprietor of an infamous gambling house somewhere yes. near Guangdong. Dude, she I sounds mean, awesome. Awesome. Perfect, perfect, perfect. ending. Perfect ending. Yeah. The, the, the men die these stupid, like, heroic yep. deaths. She lives in a long, nice life. Yep. and had to, had her fun. Yep, that's awesome. Started that a business. Nice. Yeah. yeah, and boom. Yeah, no no notes. No notes. No notes. <laughs> Hell yes. Um. Okay. One last thing. Yeah. One last thing is uh, Zhang Bao had three codes for the pirates of the Red okay. Flag Fleet. Okay. And they're like famous codes that are often misattributed to Zhang Yi Sao because narratively, you know, yeah. it makes more sense. But it's Zhang Bao's. Um. And, you know, you just got to, this is one of those things where it's like, makes you look at pirates in a different light. There's three codes. One, if any pirate goes privately on shore, he shall be taken, his ears mutilated, he will be paraded around the fleet and executed. That's some pretty piratey shit. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. So this is just like, if you just leave, you know. Oh, if you, if you, yeah, if you desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No deserting. Um, No deserting. Now, the wording of this is so, like, weirdly frustrating not the least thing shall be taken privately from the stolen and plundered goods all shall be registered the pirate mm-hmm. receives for himself out of 10 parts only two eight parts belong to the storehouse called the general fund those who steal anything out will be executed and yep. then the last but the last one is though is the one women captured from villages shall not be harmed or harassed all women captives shall be registered their place of origin recorded and be given separate quarters Hmm. Which is interesting because they're still captured, but there's there's a humanizing element. Yeah, having having. I don't think yeah, I don't think women in Tortuga were given quite the same. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then those who raped or committed adultery with the women captives shall be executed. Wow, a lot of executions. Yep. So, boom. That's that's the legacy of the pirate queen. I of love the South it. China Sea. Yeah. Again, so good. No notes. Mm-hmm. No notes. Um, full life. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. That was a good classic monster of the week topic. I'm it glad is, it but it, but out. there also was some tie-ins. I don't know. Yeah, I felt yeah. Like like felt like some that's tie-ins true. to Cossacks, like people. 
you know, I would describe it under our like general theme of like people in the past living their lives. You know, yeah. that's kind yeah. of a definitely been a theme. Is like, oh, wow, people in the past did live their lives. Yeah, you forget about it, but you they do. did. Um, hell yeah, that's awesome. Woo. Woo-woo. Fuck yeah. Nailed it. Stuck the landing. Now I can chill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now for something completely different. So there's yeah. that. All right. So um, today I want to talk about, uh, I want to start on the page of criticism of copyright. So uh, so for those that everyone knows, um, copyright law uh, is riveting riveting but it copyright is essentially it's a type of intellectual property that means that an owner has the exclusive right to make copies of a creative work mm-hmm. um you, for a, some finite amount of time and it's uh obviously a huge part of enter, you know arts mm-hmm. um but also science like in, mm-hmm. invention that kind of stuff and i was thinking about it mm-hmm. because I organically had the thought in my head, I was like, is this a thing that people, like, who doesn't like this? You know, and because I was mm. like, this seems weird. It seems right. weird that we just accept this, like, at face value, like, mm-hmm. just the idea of copyright being, like, a, th- a part of our society. And it's like, that seems weird. Like, there's got to be somebody out there whose thing yeah. is to not like this, right? And I didn't know, like, what part of the political spectrum Right. It would really be, you know, because right. it's, and so ultimately, I, I, it is certainly criticism of copyright seems more of a thread on the left wing of politics than on the right. Yeah, because, because I always considered copyright law to be like a good thing to protect the work of other people, right. that only needs to be protected because capitalism is so terrible so terrible right well yeah i mean and and ultimately when you start to think about it it's like you start to think of private ownership right right? and so you can start to kind of unpack copyright as a protection of private property Mm -hmm. right that's ultimately at the core it's just different than like the it's it's protecting property as if property is a non-physical thing it's like it's like not too far removed from nfts really yeah exactly um and so criticism of copyright or perhaps outright anti-copyright sentiment is a dissenting view of the current state of copyright law um and critical groups often discuss philosophical economical or social rationales of such laws and the law's implementations the benefits of which they claim do not justify the policy's costs to society. Mm. So this is the big thing, is that the, mm. the, it actually, you know, this stuff might get cut, but in our intro, we started talking about the difference between competition and co- cooperation, right. right? And at its core, copyright law exists in a world that fundamentally believes that competition is the source of our right lip of being alive like what Mm -hmm. it means to be alive is to compete with each other and therefore Mm -hmm. copyright helps us because then we can own the thing and it doesn't but if we if we recentered our view that the world is like the point of the world is cooperation Mm -hmm. our goal is to make collectively us better more enlightened more you know worldly whatever copyright would not be something that we would approve of at all like do you think bees bees are out there getting jealous because they didn't find the best exactly flowers you know (laughs) exactly no exactly so it is really interesting right i mean there's 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 really some kind of fundamental ways that we can be looking at like how our how we exist what our society is like and and frame it Mm -hmm. around copyright and Mm -hmm. and start to look at kind of the bad elements of it right so um the so we can do a couple of of arguments in on the criticism of copyright page so um so these are economic arguments uh Mm -hmm. against copyright uh basically there's an argument that copyright is invalid because unlike physical property intellectual property is not scarce and it is a legal fiction created by the state. Mm. The argument claims that infringing on copyright, unlike theft, 
theft does not deprive the the victim of the original item. So, yeah. like, the recipe for Coca-Cola is not... There, there's no reason why someone couldn't in, ideate that exact same thing, you know? Yeah. And so to, to claim copyright on something like that is... It's nonsensical. Right. Because we are all capable of the same level of thought, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the economic, the non-scarcity Yeah, argument. I feel that. I, I like that argument. Yeah. Then cultural arguments, um, freedom of knowledge. So um, such groups perceive freedom of knowledge as a right and or a fun- as fundamental in realizing the right to education, which yeah. is internationally recognized as a human right, as well as the right to a free culture and the right mm-hmm. to free communication. They argue that current copyright law hinders the realization of these rights in today's knowledge societies relying on new technological means of communication and see mm-hmm. copyright law as preventing or slowing human progress. So this is one that we just kind of already brought up organically. Yeah. And I, I tend to agree with in certain ways. Right. I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, my, my, especially in the past year, my, my perspective on my own production of art, right. Right. At whatever level has changed from like, totally. Oh, I did this to like, no, this, like, I want to express something that as many people, can access whether they yep. interpret it the way i want it to or not is up to them but like the access of it should be yeah i agree completely um and then i want to let them remix it in whatever way you know uh here's another one this is also a cultural argument um so lawrence liang who's you mm. know a, a leading he founder of alternative law firm forum mm. um he argues that current copyright is based on a too narrow definition of author, which is assumed yeah. to be clear and undisputed. Liang observes that the concept of the author is assumed to make universal sense across cultures and across time. Instead, Liang argues that the notion of the author as a unique and transcendent being possessing originality of spirit was constructed in Europe after the Industrial Revolution to mm. distinguish the personality of the author from the expanding realm of mass-produced goods. Oh. Hence, works created by authors were deemed original and merges with, merges with the doctrine of property prevalent at the time. I mean, you can definitely see this, like, in many of, like, especially Eastern religious tracts. Like, nobody yeah. know who wrote the Bhagavad Gita, right? Yeah. Because that's not a part exactly. of, that's not a culturally relevant thing to know. Like, the authorship has nothing to do with the, the material. That's so interesting. You know, I, I've noticed, but I never really contemplated the... Uh very prevailing trend in eastern philosophy and like writing where like almost every author of something is disputed right and openly just like people think that like what lao tzu uh either existed or didn't but it doesn't matter because the the work is yeah the work is what's transcendent you know Mm -hmm. and what is what is important to the human condition it's not the Mm -hmm. author and we Mm -hmm. we do i mean we obviously like there's this is such a gross generalization but like the Eastern and Western tracks can be totally conceived in the idea of like the individual versus the whole. Right. Uh, and like the West, we're so committed to this idea of the individual spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Eastern, many Eastern religions, there's so much more of an, of a dealing with like the, the wholeness, like right. even, you know, even the, the, the core, you know, escape of Buddhism right. or, or of Hinduism is like this mm-hmm. idea of getting out of the cycle and joining right. the whole, right? Like mm-hmm. the individual, you, the ego death is what's important, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's like, and and I will we'll keep going because there is kind of a spiritual component to this whole discussion. That's kind of cool. fuck yeah. So first, let's talk about the political component because okay. there are people and political groups around the world who fundamentally like their main talking point is this this Mm. is a this is a big deal anti-copyright sentiment is the main political position of the pirate parties especially that are super prominent in europe which hilariously i didn't even get the synchronicity until i started (laughs) until you literally yeah pirate (laughs) yeah and so this is perfect uh we are just did it again page once again but (laughs) pirate parties and um the the concept of the pirate party movement um they were initially formed to reform laws regarding copyright and patents Mm. the party agenda includes support for strengthening the individual's right to privacy 
both on the internet and everyday life, and the transparency of state administration. Uh, the party, Pirate Party has intentionally chosen to be block-independent of the traditional left-right scale to mm-hmm. pursue their political agenda with all mainstream parties. Um, and the, actually, this I'm reading specifically off of the P- Pirate Party of Sweden, um, cool. which is one of the main, uh, yeah. like one of the original um, pirate parties. Uh, the original, I guess. Um, but they're, they're all about free sharing of knowledge, uh, so like open content and fair use kind of stuff, information privacy, transparency, um, direct, democracy, di- direct democracy, including e-democracy, um, or alternative participation in government. So these are like, it's a really interesting political movement. Yeah. And I could totally see people both on the left and right being both wary and complaining about their set of standards and ideals because they right. do eschew a lot of the normal political positions or like they don't their 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 ideology doesn't it has nothing to do with yeah it doesn't even engage it doesn't engage in social issues at all right essentially right. it's all about the system the system mm-hmm. is wrong we need to change the system mm-hmm. and and it's it's like a re it's definitely a political movement that's built around like rethinking the paradigm with which we mm-hmm. live right mm-hmm. like fair use the individual's right to privacy direct democracy and these are not these are all things that we have that have been brought up on the show as like things that yeah. we understand or stuff that we would like to see yeah. um so yeah i mean it's very interesting they've They've had varying success. Um, the probably the most successful pirate party is in the Czech Republic, um, oh. where multiple members of parliament are a part of the pirate party. Fuck yeah, yeah, and uh, Sweden is also a big one. Iceland, um, the pirate party won five point one percent of the vote in twenty thirteen. Nice. Um, Actually, what is five percent of the vote in Iceland like? Yeah, 50 like people? <laughs> fifty. Yeah, ten thousand people maybe. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and uh, let's see, the European Parliament elections saw multiple members of European Parliament elected to that were part of the Pirate Party, both mm-hmm. in the Czech Republic, Luxembourg, and Sweden. Um, there's been some movements in the united states the united states actually had the second pirate party after sweden but never really took off in many respects Mm -hmm. um and it does seem i think like there's maybe because american libertarianism is a special form of (laughs) dysfunctional and like is is a, a political movement that doesn't really exist elsewhere yeah. Uh, and so it seems like the American Pirate Party is maybe a little bit too closely aligned with our conception of libertarianism. I see. Uh, so it, that's been hard to kind of get off the ground. But yeah. the the end of the day, this is a real political movement. This is like a real materially affecting group of people. Like the, these people are, are getting votes in elections. It's not just like some weird... Um, well, it is weird, but it's not it's not crank shit, you know? It's, like, actually mm. a real political movement. Um, so, with that in mind, I, I come to my last um, major topic, which is probably the most fun one, um, which is the the Missionary Church of Copy-Me-ism. Copy-Me-ism. What? Um, K-O-P-I-M-I-S-M. Um, <laughs> okay, hold on. And the Missionary Church of Copy Mesum <laughs> is a congregation. I didn't understand any of that. And the most surprising part was that it's spelled with a K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's the Missionary Church of Copy Mesum yeah. is a congregation of file sharers who believe that copying information is a sacred virtue. Wow, it was founded yeah. by Isaac Gerson, a 19-year-old philosophy student in Uppsala, Sweden in 2010 um and it is officially recognized in sweden as a religious community um 
it is so they've denied connection between um the church and the file sharing site the pirate bay which is uh, an online um torrent website um but both groups are associated with the swedish art and hacking collective um pirat biran which is a think tank that kind of is a part of the um the pirate movement yeah um so this is so cool. The, the followers of the religion of copy measts from copy me is where they get the name. Um, mm-hmm. A copy meast is a person who has a philosophical belief that all information should be freely distributed and unrestricted. The ph- philosophy opposes the monopolization of knowledge in all its forms, such as copyright and encourages file sharing of all types. In fact, the act of withholding and economizing information through copyright is against the sacredness of information. In its spiritual emphasis on copying as an ideal, copymism shares values with Chinese aesthetic traditions in which copying is valued not only as a learning tool, as it is in the West, but as artistically satisfying in its own right. A a concept also called Mm. duplitecture. Uh... According to the church, in our belief, communication is sacred. No believes in no belief in gods or supernatural phenomena apart from copy me itself is mentioned on their website. Control C and Control oh, yeah. V, the computer shortcuts for copy and paste, are considered sacred symbols. And some groups believe that copy me is considered I, to be a god. Isn't that so cool? I love that. That's so funny. It's it's so yeah, it's um, so interesting and it's like obviously a mock religion, but it's still, but it's uh, cool. makes as much sense. Yeah, it makes it, as much it, sense it, like it in a sacred level. The sentence that that makes really sold it for me is um, Gerson has been credited with one saying: "The only thing we can do as Christian now, Christians now, I suppose, is to do what Jesus tried doing and do it better." And it's just like, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all about it. Just the uh, I'm in the egalitarian dissemination of knowledge. Um, I love that. Okay. The for listeners, yeah, the and, control and C, control V, yeah. s- sacred symbol is essentially um, is essentially the yin and the yang. But instead of the uh, dots inside, it's just the control C and control V. I love that. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll end on like the the tenants, um, mm-hmm. and they are. There are six of them. So copying of information is ethically right. Dissemination of information is ethically right. Copy mixing is a Mm -hmm. sacred kind of copying, more so than the perfect digital copying because it expands and enhances the existing wealth of information. Um, Copying or remixing information. Yeah, I do too. Exactly. Um, Copying or remixing information communicated by another person seen as an act of respect and a strong expression of acceptance and faith. Um, the yeah, internet is yeah. holy. Dude, this is what I was and saying. And code is law. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's perfect. It's really awesome. The last two is I love just the like internet some nerd shit, which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the best way. Wow, 4,000 members. Ooh, it says, Copymism has also taken root in multiple nations, including... Canada, Japan, yeah, Israel, and the U.S. We'll see. Uh... Oh, in Illinois, it's a nonprofit. Copymism has registered as a church. Yeah, it's a church. I mean, it's it's accepted as a church. Fuck yeah! This is great. Yeah, I I love this. I this think is it's a so religion cool. I can get behind. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Copymism. Um, I do wonder, like, for the people that are in it, how much of the, how many of them are like coming at it from like a flying spaghetti monster, like right. tongue in cheek satire thing, and how many people are like taking it a little too seriously, right? Because there yeah. are some some sentences where I'm like, oh, like, are there like copy mi- like literalists? You know what I mean? Right. Like, what? <laughs> like evangelical copymists. Yeah, and I guess the question is that, like, like part of a mock religion is the the 
the meta knowledge that like dogmatic beliefs are yeah. unhelpful. Yeah. But it's like in terms of dogmatic beliefs, like what's more understandable and relatable in today's world that the internet is holy or that like Jesus was the son of God, you know, it's right. like, I, right. I mean, I do get like the idea that like, okay, the internet is this like sacred gift and mm-hmm. our, cause that's always been my like long held belief is that like, God is just the expression of communication between peoples. You know, mm. it's like that, like that meta layer we can't understand. The idea mm. that we can create consciousness in our head and explain mm. it to someone else, and they mm. can interpret it. Mm-hmm. Like that's God. That's God, bro. Um, yeah. So, so like I get, Ooh. I get, I, I, I could even understand like the literalist mold of this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Yeah. I also am wary of any dogmatic belief. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, cautiously very in support of this. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, fuck yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Good, good ep. Good ep. Yeah. No notes. No notes, guys. No notes. Listeners. Yeah. This is the opposite of last week's episode. We fucking nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> one, t- one time. Let's go. Um, yeah. Have fun with I hope you guys enjoyed our pirate ep. Yeah. Pirate themed episode. Yeah. From start to finish. Um, and uh, yeah, you um, you know how to get a hold of us. We're on email. Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. We're on email. We're on email. <laughs> we're finally on email. Um, we're also on social media. If you want to find out about when our episodes drop. Um, And, yeah, just don't hesitate. Reach out. Let us know what you're thinking. Definitely. um, Yeah, we we appreciate it. Thank you for for listening. We love you all. all. And we'll, we'll see you next week. All right. Adios. Adios.